Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide. It's June 14th. This is a daily half-hour podcast where we read through the Bible in a year and point out highlights that you don't want to miss. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share God's Word with you. The psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. No other word is equal to that claim. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, God's word is eternally relevant. Its truth is coherent with reality. As we read through the Bible, we grow in our apprehension of divine viewpoint and can discern God's redemptive purpose being revealed in human history. Currently, we are reading in the Old Testament of the division of Israel into the northern and southern kingdoms as a consequence of the sins of David and Solomon. In the New Testament, we read of the gospel going from Jerusalem, then throughout Judea and Samaria, and now as we continue to read in Acts chapter 9, the gospel will go to the Gentile nations and ultimately to the ends of the earth as a result of the conversion of the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. The spiritual transformation of Saul of Tarsus was as significant as it was shocking. It ranks as one of the most significant events in world history when you consider its implications. The Christian movement broke out from what would appear to the outsider as being a Jewish sect to become an established world religion. This expansion can be traced to the obedience of this one man, the Apostle Paul. He was faithful to go beyond his own people group with the powerful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go to today's reading from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 12, verse 20, and we will read through to chapter 13, verse 34. 1 Kings, chapter 12, verse 20. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. And he also made temples on high places, and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. 
and Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Chapter 13 And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water here, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, 
because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament passage in 1 Kings. What are we learning about the kings of Israel? Let's make a few observations. Entrepreneur, innovator, creative thinker, these are highly regarded qualities in our culture. Therefore, God can be glorified in their use when they are subject to his rule. But in the case of Jeroboam, his creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship led to his destruction and the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam was accustomed to taking charge of projects. He had many promising leadership skills. Solomon had made him overseer of fortifications and public works in Jerusalem. Ahijah prophesied that the kingdom would be torn out of Solomon's hands and that ten tribes would be put into the hands of Jeroboam. He dramatically pictured this by wearing a new garment, waiting until he and Jeroboam were in an open field, and then tearing the garment he was wearing into twelve pieces, giving ten pieces to Jeroboam. Solomon's heart had turned away from God, His affections were misplaced as he accommodated the false gods of the surrounding nations. Because of this, God promised that he would bless Jeroboam instead and make him an enduring household and establish him as king of Israel, if he would walk in obedience to his word. In 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 37 and 38. Jeroboam was from Ephraim and became familiar with the discontent of the northern tribes. He was a leader of the opposition, lifting up his hand against King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26. When Solomon learned of this, he sought to put Jeroboam to death. 
Therefore Jeroboam fled to Egypt only to return when Solomon died. Frustrated with the severe rule of Rehoboam, all the tribes of Israel, except for Judah and Benjamin, make their break with the Davidic line of kings and make Jeroboam, son of Nebat, the king of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 20. The kingdom was now divided into two separate nations, the ten tribes in the north under the rule of Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, and the two tribes of the south under the rule of Rehoboam, son of Solomon, of the house of David. Rehoboam was ready to mobilize his army to fight against those who rebelled against him, but the man of God, Shemaiah, told him that this division of the kingdom was of the Lord's doing. He was not to fight against his relatives. It is wise to let the Lord choose your battles. Jeroboam found a new project for himself. His entrepreneurship took a turn in direct opposition to God. He initiated a new form of worship. He invented his own new, improved religion for Israel. The sin of Jeroboam becomes a benchmark for the future sins of Israel. There are at least 21 instances recorded in Scripture in which Jeroboam is accused of causing Israel to sin. What was the sin of Jeroboam? Jeroboam rejected the authority of divine revelation, moved the center of worship to Samaria, set up a counterfeit altar with a counterfeit feast of tabernacles on a counterfeit day of the year with a counterfeit priesthood. It was a new kind of Judaism. It had great appeal to the masses. It seemed to be more kind, more convenient and accessible. He innovated his own system of worship. He changed the object, calendar, and place of worship. The Word of God was no longer the central authority. Jeroboam had his own creative think tank for consultants. He established his own priesthood. The Apostle Paul refers to this in the New Testament as self-made religion. Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. Instead of worshiping the one true God, the God who revealed himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he manufactured two golden calves, conveniently located at nearby Bethel or Dan, so that the people would not have to go up to Jerusalem and worship according to the law of Moses. In chapter 12, verse 28. Rather than adhere to the Lord's calendar, which placed the Feast of Tabernacles on the fifteenth day of the seventh month in Jerusalem, Jeroboam made his mark on the Feast of the Lord by moving it to the fifteenth day of the eighth month to be held at Bethel. In chapter 12, verse 32. Rather than recognizing the Levites as God's appointed priesthood, Jeroboam launched his own priesthood in which anyone could participate. Chapter 13, verse 33. The Mosaic law forbade kings serving as priests in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16 through 23. He also made his own sacrifices in chapter 12, verse 33. We have already seen the devastating consequences that came upon those who had little regard for God's word and worshipped him on their own terms. Cain, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and King Saul, to name a few. Others would suffer due to their ignorance of God's standards of worship, such as Uzzah and the men of Bethshemesh. Chapter 13 tells us a lot about the Old Testament role of the prophet. Disobedience, including compromised obedience, 
cost prophets their lives. The man of God from Judah gave a true word about the false altar of Bethel and predicted the reign of Josiah 300 years in the future. That is in 640 to 609 B.C. But he failed to obey the details the Lord had given regarding his journey. This reminds us that it is not just the message that is important, but the way we conduct ourselves as its ministers. Jeroboam wanted to have the man who spoke out against his false system of worship killed. He pointed at him and shouted, Seize the man! But instantly Jeroboam's hand was paralyzed in that pointing position in chapter 13, verse 4. And at that moment, the prophecy about the altar cracking in half and spilling the ashes was fulfilled. The king's hand remained paralyzed until the man of God interceded for him in chapter 13, verse 6. There is a further instructive incident in which the man of God from Judah is tempted into disobedience by an old prophet from Bethel. Whereas the motive for temptation is not clear, the result of disobedience is the man of God from Judah has received a command by the word of the Lord not to eat or drink with those at Bethel and that he must return by a different route than the one on which he came. In chapter 13, verse 9, this would show that the Lord would not give any endorsement, have any fellowship, or have anything to do with Jeroboam's religion. The old prophet from Bethel heard from his sons the report of the man of God from Judah. He saddles his donkey and catches up with his fellow prophet and fabricates a story, saying, An angel has spoken to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. The old prophet has shifted the authority from the word of the Lord to another source, an angel, and tests the obedience of the prophet from Judah to the specific instruction he had been given, the word of God once spoken. There is a consistency to God's word. All suggested revelations must be tested by those which have already been received. God does not contradict himself. The message once delivered to the saints should not be tampered with. It reminds us of the words of the Apostle Paul. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-9 through 9. Jude also writes of the perpetuity of God's revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is given once and for all to the church of Christ. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. The New Testament Book of Jude, Chapter 1, Verse 3 G. Campbell Morgan writes, quote, We are taught that no command of God must be disregarded by His messengers, even when or if an angel suggests a change of method. A divine purpose directly communicated is never set aside by intermediation of any kind. How necessary, therefore, that those who are called of God should prove the spirits whether they are of God. When direct assault of evil would utterly fail to seduce servants of God, 
the enemy constantly transforms his appearance into that of an angel of light and claims to bring to the soul a divine revelation. End quote. Now let's move on in our Bible tour to the New Testament, where our reading today is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 43. A freshly converted Saul of Tarsus is going to be going to Jerusalem to be received of the church there. So let's start reading in verse 26 of chapter 9. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which, translated, means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with him, and when he arrived, he took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And this is the end of today's portion from the New Testament in the book of Acts. Barnabas demonstrates his grasp on the wonder of God's grace in the way he welcomes and defends Saul of Tarsus as his brother in Christ as he comes to Jerusalem. Already the Holy Spirit has given Saul boldness to preach Christ. Some of the Greek-speaking Jews wanted to kill Saul, so the believers in Jerusalem escorted him to Caesarea and sent him to his hometown of Tarsus. The church became stronger as it lived in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it continued to increase. Peter continues to preach the gospel as he goes from place to place. He prays for Aeneas, 
a man who had been paralyzed for eight years, and he is instantly healed. In Acts chapter 9, verse 34, the effect of seeing Aeneas walking caused the whole population in Lydda and Sharon to turn to the Lord. Peter comes to the harbor city of Joppa, a city whose name means beautiful, which sits 125 feet above sea level overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, 35 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He stays with a tanner. Tanning involved touching dead animals. It was an unclean profession according to the law of Moses. Nevertheless, Peter was already experiencing, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, his new liberty. Soon he would be called upon to act on that knowledge and defend it. Many people in Joppa believe in the Lord Jesus, especially as the power of his name is affirmed with the miraculous resurrection of Tabitha. Tabitha, meaning gazelle, is her name in Aramaic. Dorcas is her name in Greek. She's a beloved sister in Christ who made clothes for those in need. Instead of returning to Lydda, Peter stays in the home of Simon, the tanner, in Joppa. It is likely that Luke notes Peter's prolonged stay in the place of Simon's tanning profession, considered unclean according to the laws of Judaism, as it serves as a fitting preface to the account of the conversion of the Gentile Cornelius in the next chapter, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through chapter 11, verse 18. Now we move on in our Bible tour to the book of Psalms, where we go to the final of the 15th Song of Ascents, Psalm 132. The pilgrims have reached their destination. The Lord has chosen Zion. A Song of Ascents, Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This psalm is the last in the series of 15 psalms known as the Songs of Degrees. It stands in contrast to what we read about Jeroboam and his self-appointed worship center in Bethel. Here the psalmist extols the city chosen by God, Jerusalem, and the promises of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8-29. through It prophetically pictures God's satisfaction and peace being made through the perfect work of redemption, the offering of God's Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. This is my rest forever. 
It prophetically speaks of the peace made through Christ's perfect atoning sacrifice and the bold access to God for believers who are made a royal priesthood. And now let's receive some encouragement from the book of Proverbs. This is a great verse for this time of year when we celebrate Father's Day. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Let's give God thanks for the gift of family. This proverb is an example of synonymous parallelism. The thought of the younger generation bringing honor to the older is expressed in two similar ways spanning two generations. Let's conclude this session of Fellowship in the Word with prayer. Lord, you have shown us through your word that your counsel stands. Thank you for the gospel, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Help us to recognize that your message is not evolving. Your word is forever settled in heaven. Being eternal, it is eternally relevant. We pray that we will walk in humble obedience and demonstrate a wholehearted commitment to the Lord Jesus, such as what we see in the book of Acts. Thank you for the gift of children and grandchildren, a crown for old men and women. Give us the heart, the gifts, the wisdom, and opportunities to make disciples in each generation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends, for joining with us on this leg of the journey in our one-year Bible tour. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow and continue. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. If you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, or you'd like to know how you can help support our ongoing mission, you can go to our website, newlife.org. You can also subscribe there to a written copy of our daily accompanying commentary with illustrations. So as we go, may you meditate upon this, which I believe is one of my life verses, Colossians 1.28, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, So naturally we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet and we teach everyone we can all that we know about him, so that, if possible, we may bring every man up to his full maturity in Christ. God bless you.